Hello and welcome to the Serpent Temple podcast. This is a weekly review. We will be looking at three albums, one of which is by Osric Tentacles, entitled Technicians of the Sacred, released in 2015. The second is by Power Trip, Nightmare Logic, released in 2017. And I've copy-pasted the same album title twice. <laughs> <laughs> so the third album is not Power Trip. It's actually 1914's fresh release, which is called... Oh my god. Where fear and weapons meet. I nearly said Nightmare Logic again. <laughs> <laughs> I do know what it's called. However, I'm just stupid today. Um, so yeah, it's Where Fear and Weapons Meet. Let's start with the earliest release, which was 2015, Technicians of the Sacred by Osric Tentacles. Floyd, this is a new band for you. What did you think? Yeah, so normally we delve like decades and decades into the past to discover some old gems, but this band is technically quite an old band, aren't they? They are ancient. Listed here, they were formed in 1983 in Somerset, England. Yes. Um, I believe this incarnation on this album features Ed, would it be Wynn or Wine, would you say? I would say Wynn, but I tend to say things wrong as well. So I'd want to say Wine, because that means that his partner who plays bass, his name would be Brandywine, like the Brandywine Bridge and River in uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. But I, I think it's probably Wynn. So you've got Ed Wynn, who's guessing the longtime member on guitars, synth programming, production, engineering. Uh, Silas Neptune, who is their child, I believe. Oh, that's a sick name for a human being. Uh, on keys. Then you've got Brandy Wynn on bass. Whew, this is going to be a tricky one. Balash Zende on drums. And Paul Hankin on percussion. So this was, as you mentioned, the new band for me. And uh, this was a bit of a wild ride. It was 89 minutes of um, pretty technical and proggy, electronica-infused uh, rock. So I, I, I really dug it. I thought it was quite a good album. I could, I could totally see, listen to this album, why this one would be one of your favorite ones out of their discography. Yeah. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I went and checked out their entire discography because as we were talking a bit off camera, they have got what? Like an insane amount of releases, right? I counted and it is. They have um, 15 studio albums and 22 live albums and EPs. So they have a total of 37 physical releases. Well, there you go. Yeah. They are prolific. It's very, as you say, it's very bleepy bloopy. It's kind of like a spaceship that's also got loads of guitar tone on it. It's fucking sick. I love this band. I got into them um, well over 10 years ago. And I think the first album of theirs I listened to was Strangertude, which is, I think, from the 90s. Um, it's, yeah, 1991, the year I was born. Um, so it's just, they're a really weird band and they constantly are changing members. Quite often they'll perform with loads of different members because it's... Like they didn't want to be one of those bands where it's got to have like a strict original lineup. So I think Win is one of the originals, basically. That's a bit like Napalm Death. That's yeah. how they start. They had like a revolving door of band members. Then the Napalm Death of electronic music. Yeah, see that on an album sticker. <laughs> <laughs> but it's. Um, do you know what? It's always interesting to listen because I think there's a, obviously a massive like, like dollop. Of, uh, that's a word that I haven't <laughs> ever said out loud before. Of um, electronica on this album, and like my knowledge of electronic electronic music is kind of just predicated by video games and stuff. <laughs> so I've got to listen to a song, and be like, oh, this reminds me of this video game. Oh, this reminds me of that video game. <laughs> which video game does this remind you of? Yeah, well, there was a few tracks which I have noted down. One of them was, uh, let's see, do you know what? A lot of like the early PlayStation One racing games. I don't know if you ever played the game Wipeout, which is a semi-popular franchise. It was like 
PlayStation Sony's version of um, F Zero, like the hovercraft, like hovering style Ooh, race vehicles. Nice. Um, and then there was another game called Rogue Cage, which is all the cars had rogue cages, so you could do like loads of like barrel rows and stuff, and it was had really interesting maps. That game didn't take off as much as Wipeout, but it had music like this, like really kind of like psychedelic, funky, proggy rock with like a lot of like electronic and bleeping and blooping, as you've yeah. said. But it's, um, and there's the first track, The High Pass, which is a great track. Um, actually reminds me of like a really futuristic rush, mm. like especially moving pictures era rush when yeah. they were like, because. What's interesting about Rush as well, which I found this band shares some similarities in the sense that there seems to be an element of like dub and, and reggae at times and some of the rhythms and stuff, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah. Um, but no, it was just, um, it, it was a long album, but this is like, I saw, I read a lot of reviews where people describe this as background music. Yeah. And I totally get that. Like, yeah. this is something that I enjoyed. I listened to it twice because obviously we've delayed this recording. And the second time, I kind of just sat back and just let it wash over me a bit. And I think I enjoyed it much more when I wasn't trying to, like, dissect it. So, but it was great. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, this is one of those bands where I don't really mind which album I listen to. I tend to, like, obviously, the, the sound has changed through the years in many subtle ways. But I just don't care. Like, I will always be happy whatever I listen to. And it's really happy music. You can just tell it's made in, like, it's a really kind of positive vibes aura energy kind of band and they will play a lot of like raves and stuff and they actually formed during after a six hour jam session um i will i will find the segment that i i made notes on but i think you know they did a six hour jam session um and then afterwards they were asked to like name the band because it was completely spontaneous um from what i remember reading but they're a huge huge influence on a lot of electronic music which I think this country, I mean, like with the dubstep scene that came out, it's probably not really a thing as much anymore. I don't know much about it, but we do electronic music really well, if I may say so myself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they kind of made electronic music at Glastonbury a huge thing. So we owe a lot to them. That's it. They, they formed at Stonehenge Free Festival in 1983. They played a six-hour jam. They were asked to name the band. And um, Edwin replied, Osric Tentacles, because it was one of the suggestions given in a humorous conversation about possible names for alien breakfast cereal. So they're literally named after like a concept of alien breakfast cereal. And they actually allude to it in different um, several different album titles. And they did have... I think they had like a box set um, many years ago that I almost bought. And it, like the graphic design was kind of like breakfast cereal. <laughs> I, really oh, I saw that. that actually when looking, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Going through their like discography. Yeah. Yeah. They have really wonderful, like freaky album covers. There's one with like a little monkey on it jumping yeah. around in a swamp. And there's one like with a witch, like hopping into the sea on um, stepping stones and things like that. And this one is like a very Melakesh style album cover. It's like very Eastern esoteric kind of one. But then they have like Strangitude, which is my favorite album cover. I have that on vinyl which is like trees in space on this like weird like rainbow reel thing going off into infinity. I really like that weird that sounds cool. surrealist style of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of Yggdrasil-esque. I forgot to say Yggdrasil-esque. <laughs> it is. It is. It's a very specific reference that no one will understand. Um, <laughs> but yes, it is very Yggdrasil. It's, um, sorry, I can't help but think of when you mentioned um, uh, Stonehenge. My mum's friend once um, poured a drink over uh, one of the druids there. <laughs> it was um, so it used to be really. Um, they used to always go there at the uh, summer solstice and like have a party and stuff. Yeah. 
and like and the druids were just super protective of it because a lot of people would go and just mess with the stones and stuff now apparently you can't get anywhere near them i think we tried. i've never been there myself but but i did read also the thing about glastonbury as well and it's uh god what a, what a commercial beast glastonbury has become because i remember my mum telling me she used to go there and you could get them for free most of the time and really? it was like really like had had so much more of a bohemian kind of vibe and was just, it really just isn't like shit that now. tons of people doing acid and stuff which probably still happens but I more don't know. in like a coachella way as opposed to a, yeah yeah probably more doing those what those i always see them on the street you know those little silver canisters oh the laughing gas is that, is that the nos that's laughing, laughing gas, gas? yeah yeah, yeah. I used to think NOS was like only for cars to go yeah. fast because I used to play like I thought GTA. Yeah, I think I used to play. I loved Need for Speed. Need for Speed Underground. Oh my god, Sick. I was obsessed with it, and like I was regarded as some kind of freak because I didn't. Ha I had the wrong bits to be obsessed with car racing. But yeah, I fucking love Need for yeah. Speed. And you hit the NOS, it's like. Meow. Do you remember? Do you remember which <laughs> band had a song in there? It was my introduction to that band. It's not Disturbed or something, is it? No, nah, no, nah, it was uh, Skindred. No, the, the, that, Skindred that song, one of them. That song Nobody was on it. Yeah, it was Static X. Skindred, and I remember thinking, what the fuck is this? It's like some Jonathan Davis scatting style mixed with some reggae, but... I actually really cool. liked that single. It's a really good... It's a great track. Yeah. Yeah, Grave Lines played with Skindred last night in Brighton. I saw that. I would have loved to have been at that gig. That I would mean, have been so fun, that show. That, that's a crazy bill. I know. Maybe we should have gone. Yeah. Oh, Where was it? Car. Where oh. was it? Brighton. Brighton. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully they'll do it again. Because Skindred, honestly, one of my favorite live bands. They are legit very, very good live. And Gravelines are just wonderful human people. Yeah. Um, yes. <laughs> we both inhaled at the same time. <laughs> yeah. We're polite enough just to let each other speak, so we said nothing. We've done that walking here as well. Didn't we? yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like, no, no, you go, you go. <laughs> Before we even said hello to each other, we both did it at the same <laughs> time. <laughs> Oh, I've got to tell you this obscure thing, which is gonna, no one else is going to understand, but I know you get a dig out of it. You know, um, Luke the other day was doing the Smelcom thing at the door. Yeah. Oh, so funny. Oh, my God. Hello and Smelcom. Yeah. Oh, please, if you recognize our strange humors, write in and let us know. If not, then feel free to let us know that too. Um, one thing that I thought was very cool about Osrix is that people used to send them blank cassette tapes and they would put music on them and send them back. No. Yeah. That's wild. But like they'd literally write the music, put it on the tape and send it back. So there's like literally completely unique, unreleased Osirix cassette tape music out there. And they did this for like a period of time. I think that's that's just crazy. And apparently if they, they played a show, they would literally just play until the power went out. They didn't care about like they would play for hours. Yeah. Um, yeah and they still do it. I want to talk about one of my favorite tracks on the album, which is Epiphaloi. Nice. Which um, starts with what? To me, to my untrained ears, sounds a bit like an Eastern. It is. Riff. It's my favorite song. Obviously, it's so great. It's that Eastern. riff at like four twenty. Is this at four twenty? The four twenty riff <laughs> is um. It's just seriously fucking so groovy. Yeah. Um. It's such a great track, and I love how like uh, how like the bass is like mimicking that riff as well. Once the guitar kind of fades out, just a really really good track. Uh, there's some really really cool moments on this album. Um. But that track in particular was the one that kind of stood out to me because I think, you know, that kind of infusion of something a bit more familiar to my ears anyway, you know, like something a bit more rocky, a bit more kind of like a distorted guitar riff definitely appealed to my uh, to my metallic <laughs> tastes. Yeah, they are actually a great band for people who like metal because they are at times quite heavy. Yeah. Um, and it's really... It, 
at first listen can sound very chaotic because there's so much stuff going on. It's really, really busy. And they'll also mix in so many different influences, which I think good metal often does. So you find like jazz, like you say, reggae, dub, funk. Um, the bass is always doing something really good. And I think metalheads like good bass, even if you're not aware of it in music. Well, I think it's because we've been deprived of it for so long, right? Because yeah. how many times do you hear the production of an album when the bass is virtually non-existent? Yeah, can come so on. I think it's becoming like, there's a real big thing in, I think, like the tech def scene now is where the bass is super, super prominent. A bit too high in the mix, in my personal opinion. Mm. It can be a bit overbearing. Ooh, but. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> I like I like that necrophagous bass where it's like oh, you know great albums you know that that man really did come onto the scene release two fucking perfect tech death albums and was like fuck it I'm done <laughs> so never hear from me ever again <laughs> I'm just yeah oh imagine making as a musician making something so great that you feel like you don't have to be a musician anymore I can't imagine what that must feel like yeah I think Damalek know what that feels like oh. You know? Been, a, been touring that album for 30 years <laughs> that's my worst nightmare is to do one album for that long but if if it's a really good album then i guess it doesn't feel that way i've got on my notes here that the track zing bong which amused me because i've got a simple got sense of humor really <laughs> reminded me of dow seems theme from street fighter 2 <laughs> <laughs> that's what i just got written in my notes <laughs> <laughs> but like it's uh, that was a cool track as well. I really like that one. It had some funky, real like there's a there's a definitely a lot of prog elements on this album. I think from classic prog, not not this progressive gent that is uh, now considered prog in the modern music sphere. <laughs> I really like how this album has songs like Zing Bong, and then on the same track list you have a name like Rubbing Shoulders with the Absolute, which I think is fantastic. They're like they they easily go from like low humor to extremely high like transcendental concepts it's like omen some joke band at the same time in a good way sleep. yeah actually sleep do that it's like the two sides of our system race yeah the pyramids of geezer butler <laughs> and the, the thc <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah these guys are just they're fantastic and they obviously like they're so prolific, it's incredibly impressive, and their use of synth is good. And anyone who knows me knows that I'm incredibly, incredibly critical of anything with synth. I particularly hate bad synth. So if I say the synth is good, it's probably okay. Cool. In that case, I have to remind myself to ask you what you thought about the synth in the 1914 album. It was so, not bad. Yeah, there's a yeah. lot more synth in that album than the previous one, but I thought it was used quite well. It's not like we'll Sabaton-esque synth, which is fucking horrific and should be... Yeah. Fuck yeah. Sabaton. <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome to Cancel Corner. I'm not cancelling Sabaton. For the gates of hell. <laughs> uh, the, there's a there's an Osric's album called Swirly Termination, which is exactly how I feel about Sabaton. Swirly Termination. <laughs> Swirly Termination. There's such a real jam like sense on this album with this band they're just like oh fuck it we'll just call it that that sounds cool <laughs> yeah. when you told me about even like the band's name they're what are you called ah, i don't know Stereo. osric tentacles <laughs> so, yeah we'll stick with that for 40 years <laughs> it's like the most kind of casually relaxed approach to music which is like intense metal heads that put so much like intensity and concentration into like every single drop of what we do is like kind of um it's a nice kind of antidote yeah it's really nice to have that like kind of carefree humorous 
um and just like it's so wholesome there's something wholesome it is like cereal you know you wake up in the morning you have some cereal it's nourishing it's fun to have i think when done right you know humor can be can be applied quite well into the metal scene not in films though that's why you don't get it in june all right (laughs) Right? no humor allowed in there there's one joke Uh, deal with it there's one joke in the first 15 minutes gird yourself for the rest of the film because there ain't no humor in dune because God forbid this. No fucking post credit scene. Do you believe that shit? Can you believe <laughs> You know, Marvel, <laughs> Marvel really did get it right with those post. They should have had like five post credit scenes in June. <laughs> just <laughs> spoil the entire saga. Imagine if you waited to the end of June and it was just um, fucking Nick Fury, Samuel Jackson walking out and approaching <laughs> Paul. So I'd like you to join the S.H.I.E.L.D. initiative. <laughs> Maybe that's what Bill Nerva's been trying to do this whole time. Is yeah. the, the greatest, most ambitious crossover event in history. The Godworm takes on Thanos. Nice. <laughs> I'd like to see that standoff. Well, shall we move on? Let's, let's. After the nightmare logic we have just exhibited, it is time for Power Trip. The release of 2017 Nightmare Logic. I've said it for the fifth time this um, this podcast on Southern Lord. It is the last studio album to feature vocalist Riley Gale. May he rest in peace. He died on August 24th, 2020, which is horrifically recent. Yeah, that was a tough one. I think when it comes to like deaths in the scene, that was one that I think hit quite a few people hard because it's one thing when it's someone that has had a lengthy career in the scene, um, which is still obviously sad. But like, I really feel like Power Trip were on the verge of becoming like a huge huge force in the scene which it may still be the band is still listed as active so i don't mm. know what the, what the deal is then if they will continue um and you know and, and you know full power to all those guys if they do decide to continue didn't they release something in, in 2019 it was like a it was a it was a single wasn't it was it a single I think. oh my bad was that with a different vocalist well he would have still been oh because he died in, in 2020 yeah. fuck's sake nina I just saw the thing on Wikipedia. It was like, this the last album with... And I'm... Oh. Sorry. It's, it's because of the pandemic, okay? It's all one big wiggly wavy yeah. line. And two, I don't understand 2000 it. to 2022 is like two months to me. Like everything's happened in, the, in a very quick, short span. I still literally have worrying nightmares where I think I'm late for my GCSE exams. So I don't, I don't even know when it is or what I am anymore. Well, I have anxiety dreams where I'm at school, but I'm the age and the size I am now. <laughs> And it's just really weird thinking, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, this is weird. I don't think I'm legally allowed to be here. (laughs) Why do I need to take lessons? I had a nightmare where I was like, I think it was like, I was at school and it was, I never had, you know, the whole like stereotype of the being naked at school nightmare. I never had that at school, but I had had it like two years ago. Wow. And I've never forgotten it because it was genuinely the most humiliating dream I've ever had. It was so not good. Um, but yeah, I don't recommend. So speak of the nightmares, the album Nightmare Logic. Oh, nice yeah, logic. Segue. Yeah. So, band from Dallas, Texas. Mm. We've got Riley Gale, rest in peace, on vocals. Chris Ulsh on drums. Nick Stewart on rhythm guitar. Blake Ibanez on lead. I wonder if it's any relation to the... Um... Does he play Ibanez? No, that's what I was... I forgot to Google that. I'm going to Google that right now. Yeah, go and do it. Does Blake Ibanez... Play an Ibanez. Play an <laughs> Ibanez. Oh, that's I can't. like that tongue twister. Can Will Smith? Can Will 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 Smith Smith? What? Wait, wait, well, it's a grammatical. It's a grammatically correct sentence. Will Will Smith Smith? Will Will Smith Smith? Yeah. Okay. Well, I can continue with the does Blake Ibanez play an Ibanez? Blake plugs his Jacksons into Line Six G Seventy wireless. 
And from there, the signal hits a TC electronic polytune Ibanez TS9 Boss RC free loop station, which runs through a DR and an Ibanez DE7 delay echo with the amps effects on Luke. <laughs> there, is, there is a sprinkle of Ibanez and a Voodoo Lab PP2 <laughs> supplies the juice, which I'm sorry is really funny. <laughs> the PP is stored in <laughs> Anyway. The PP2. Why would you call it that and then say supplies the juice at the end of his rig rundown? I'm sorry, but that was definitely intentional. I refuse to believe that they did not giggle yeah, about that. That's like that time, and I'm not going to name any names here because I'm not going to incriminate anyone. We were talking about jumping on a Zoom call with like work colleagues, and someone was just like, yeah, tomorrow we'll jump on and have a threesome with. And I'm like, whoa, 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 why are you using those words? Like that word <laughs> pertains to one only one thing. Yeah. <laughs> a three-way Zoom conversation is not referred to as a threesome. Okay? Oh, my God. If it was yeah. like a fivesome, yeah. maybe a pass. But even then, I'm like, maybe use any other word to just say five people. But yeah, um, this album, interestingly, was produced by the guy who also did Chromags and Turnstile. And his name is Arthur Rizik. Yeah, do you know what? The production on this album, and I think this is part of like Power Trip's appeal, is they have quite they've cast quite a wide net with like the um the people that are into their music. This reminds me of like a classic Scott Burns, like Morris Sound, like old school Floridian death metal production, but kind of a little bit more modernized, like not as Oh, I'll be flayed for saying this, but not as weak sounding as some of those albums do sound from that period. Um <laughs> I love those albums, but but no, it was um, it's you can hear like it's, I'm not the biggest fan of crossover thrash in general. Like you know, if you had to ask me to rank the big four, who most of which, in my opinion, don't even deserve to be in the big four. I like, honestly think three out of four of them suck. Yeah, yeah. Which which one do you like, Slayer? Slayer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I mean, um, like Anthrax probably be dead last for me. They've just never really done anything for me. They're the least worst people, though. I see, they seem cool. Yeah, like yeah. Scott Ian, I saw at work once, which was cool. Really? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. With me standing next to him, it looked a bit like Russian dolls. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But no, it was, um, but no, it's like, it's, I am actually a thrash fan. Um, but what, power trip do is they've got a severe dollop i'll use that word again <laughs> of um hardcore aesthetics and sounds into their um into their presentation and i think it's um it just every they just seem to be the darlings of the hardcore and modern thrashing so it was um and when you listen to the album i know this was like your first time listening to them when yeah we, yeah it yeah. Was, yeah and it's like it's just the music is so accessible but it's aggressive it's really groovy it's easy to kind of headbang to there's enough variation on it it sounds really good like the solos and everything are played well just and just riley's vocals he's got such a humanistic approach to vocals like you know there's not too much distortion he's not trying to sound too like cookie monster-esque or too black metal-esque like it's very it's a very very human and aggressive vocal performance which is not something you hear in a lot of classic thrash classic thrash a lot of the vocals are quite weak a lot of the time and it's more like a really mm -hmm. half-assed kind of yell um like with the exception of chuck billy from testament who in my opinion is the greatest thrash metal vocalist which is um you know, too impressed with that statement but so. well i i think i just saw him on an off night so i told you the story before oh yeah you said you saw him live and you went that I impressed walked, right it's in. the only time i properly walked out of the game because really? yeah, it was bad. so bad yeah 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 
That might have been when he still had health issues, though. I think he wasn't feeling... No. Yeah, he didn't look particularly healthy at the time. Cool. Um, I think he was just probably... If you're on tour, I'm not going to expect someone to have, like, be on top form on, like, their 30th date or something. So no. fair enough to yeah. him, really. Yeah. yeah. But what did you think of this album? I fucking loved it. Um, I've always I've always seen Power Trip from afar and thought, they're a great band. At some point, I'll get into them. I was gutted when Ronnie Gale died because he just seemed like a really wholesome guy. And this album, like looking into it, absolutely confirmed that. It also has um, a great artist that I really like who did the artwork called Paolo Girardi. We actually nearly worked with him, with Loan. His um, artwork is fantastic. He's done so much with so many bands. Yeah. He is, yeah. his Instagram is hilarious. He's great. He just has, he, he's like this Italian guy who like, he'll have these insane like stories of him painting some like mind-blowingly complex cover of like people writhing in pain and amazing like backgrounds and colors. He's a fantastically talented oil painter and oil painting is fucking hard. But then he'll also have like a video of him with like an ax in a cellar in Italy or like just him like lifting weights in the countryside in his garden. Or, like, <laughs> just really funny, cool things. He's just like, this big hench man of war fan. Yeah. Um, oh my God, I just brushed the mic. I probably sounded horrific. Um, I was going to say, it's not Fabio, is it? He said he's big and <laughs> Hench, so I was like, no, I'll show you a picture out. of this guy. Sorry, he Fabio. absolutely does not look like Fabio. <laughs> He's yeah. so funny. Like everyone who's like vaguely interested in this, in Paula, Paolo. Oh yeah, my god! It's cool because I, I didn't clock that it was the same guy that done the artificial B. Artificial B. It's because you said Artie B. <laughs> Artificial brain artwork. <laughs> was it with me and, and remembering that band? I couldn't even remember them last time. Like he's just put up a story of him cooking sausages. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, shoot, okay, some wine and some peppers. And then there's like a sick band cover. Oh, that, like, that's him. That's literally how he poses. He'll pose. And Legend. I, I, he just puts his hands on his hips and he'll... I don't, There's something just really... Like, I just love him. Some serious Chad energy. He's such a Chad. He's like the absolute man of warrior. This is, I just hanged these drawings. Okay. Yeah, there's a picture of him with tomatoes on his head. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, like, and then a rotting skull, rotting skull. Yeah, he's fucking great. And there's like a picture of him naked and shirtless with a vinyl in front of one of his like paintings. Sick. <laughs> he's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Paolo Girardi, completely recommend his work. I love that he's involved with Power Trip, who incidentally have amazing merch. Um, and I've been meaning to get some, but it's very hard in Europe to get the sick looking the, merch. It's such a cool logo. It's like it's easy to read, but the merch looks amazing. Like it's, every time you see Power Trip merch, I'm just like, ah, it's just so cool. Yeah, the colors are like so awesome. They have this like bright orange hoodie with like green. It's like my favorite colors for merch. I love like poisonous snake looking colors on merch which isn't such a thing in doom yeah and i don't think suits a lot of doom bands but it really fucking suits these guys and I, for the first time in my life i was like i want to buy some power trip sweatpants <laughs> it's like 45 quid evil greed to do stock their stuff if you want to buy it in europe but it's like really expensive postage so it's the sort of merch that you can imagine one of the kardashians wearing oh no you're right they probably have already done it probably have to be fair like i know um what was it? I think one of them wore an Exodus shirt once. So the next time Gary Holt was on stage, he wore shirts saying, kill the Kardashians. Which <laughs> I remember bit, that. bit drastic. But, uh. Imagine going through the trouble of printing that. I mean, I'd be pretty happy for Kardashian reptile gear. Like, they yeah, don't have like, completely awful style. Ah, and it's just like, you know, I just think people can wear whatever they want. I mean, it's just, it's that whole thing, that whole gate. I see loads of memes about people saying, um, just like, <laughs> I can't remember. I think the main one was someone saying like, oh, me going on Wikipedia and memorizing Kurt Cobain's birthday, um, the name of his first child, before I go outside wearing my Nirvana shirt, just in case someone goes up and is like, 
because there are people in the scene who are a bit like that who will like expect you to know every last fact about yeah. a band but like the amount of times i've been to a gig and seen like an opening band i'm not familiar with and being like that band is sick i'm gonna go buy their merch yeah i, I don't know much I, could, I probably couldn't even tell you five songs from that band but they were sick that night that i saw them so i decided to buy a shirt yeah i, I have definitely done that um i saw a band called toti moshi play with mastodon like 2010 2011 and i never ever listened to them again but i just bought a shirt because i thought they did great and i never wear the shirt yeah. if anyone wants a toti moshi shirt get in touch with me because yeah. i've got one um but yeah like sometimes buying a shirt is like an act of support as opposed to an act of proclaiming that you know everything about the band and how often they take a shit every day and things like that so you know but if anyone wants to tell me that so i can flex on some gatekeeper feel free to do so <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> anyway, my favorite song on this album is Executioner's Tax, Swing of the Axe, because it's yeah. so fucking catchy. And I feel like this is probably a common, commonly picked song. That is probably that will probably go down as their biggest song because that got some serious, serious traction um, when it was released. I can't remember who used it, a, a TV show or I think it was a news oh. channel used it as part of like a piece or... So it got some mainstream kind of cred from being featured on something. Really wish I researched that. I was meaning to. I fucking forgot. But, I can research it right now. But yeah, it's um, it is such a catchy, catchy song, and just like I love when 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 like the whole gang shout vocals are done properly. Yeah, I just, I just proper love it. Like when they all go swing of the axe, so good. I really like the deeper meaning behind the album too, because I was watching some interviews with Riley um, and he was talking about how, like he obviously put loads of effort into the lyrics. So he's got songs. Um, he was basically saying it's kind of about encouraging people to not just do nothing, um, yeah. which I think was like a really, really cool thing to do with his music. Um, and it's just so sad that he's not around to like keep doing that and keep fighting for that. Cause it's such an, for me, it's super important. Um, and that's what his idea of nightmare logic is, is people just like completely fucking the earth and fucking the world with dumbass like being shitty human beings and it affecting everyone else so he's got songs like waiting around to die where he's talking about like if you don't do anything then you're just waiting around to die like is this really is this really worth doing um and then like i did my thing where i get a, a paragraph out nice. of this song so i got if not us then who um and he's literally saying in this get up out of your cave and into the fire. Time's short. This is our last resort. To get through to you, what have I got to do? What's going to be the difference? If not us, then who? Yeah. Or who's going to be the difference? Fuck, I fucked that up. <laughs> but it's just really honest lyricism, isn't it? It's just like to yeah. the point and like, you know, no fucking, like it's just straight to the damn point. Yeah, I think it's great that they're not, like, they're not afraid to be political and so many people are, especially right now in particular. Um, and they're just, they're making their point and they're making it really fucking well and they come across super well and doing it as well. It's like eloquently done in a simple way. Um, and I just respect that. I think they're totally right. And it definitely captures how a lot of us feel because I certainly feel very helpless a lot of the time. Um, and, you know, you'll sit around and be like, well, what's the fucking point? You know, we can't do anything. And then you'll kind of be reminded by music and art like this. Actually maybe i can and maybe we all can and there's a lot more we could be doing that we're not and that in itself is another kind of spiral that you end up going down um but again he he says in this interview you know we could literally just take people out into the street and um i'm not going to say on the podcast out loud in case i get blacklisted on the terror of people but you know he talks about taking things into your own hands and yeah you can no one's stopping you well some people are but no one really can stop you from doing that yeah 
I wonder if, ironically, people listened to that and then decided to storm the Capitol. <laughs> Do you think the guy from My Stuff did that? <laughs> John Shaver. Yeah. <laughs> like, if not us, then who? <laughs> yeah, fuck's sake, man. It's, it's usually the way, though. It's so funny how a lot of right-wing people will appropriate super left-wing music, like the Rage Against the Machine shit. It was a bullet in the head, wasn't it? And they were like, yeah, they say jump, you say how high. And they're talking about fucking literally those people using that music and they're singing along to it and then they get offended that it's political. It's like, mate, that's what music is. Art is politics. Get over it, man. Anyway, my yeah. run over. No, no, true. I think everything you say is pretty on the ball and on point. Um, so you say Executioner's Tax is your favourite track. A few tracks I really love on this album. I think the opening track is great, so Sacrifice. Yeah. Um, like the first kind of scream and vocal delivered is really reminiscent of um, John Tardy from Obituary. Mm. Because Obituary is such a good fucking band. So, so, such a an iconic band that I don't think... I mean, they are popular, but I think they deserve more credit for what they've done to the scene. Especially that mid-tempo, slower shit that they kind of really favour. And, like, and he, you can tell Riley Gale's a massive Obituary fan. When I saw them perform at Bloodstock, I think he was wearing, like, the Obituary sweatpants. Oh, and yeah. Obituary, like... Like, he might might have been wearing a cap as well, but it was just, like, just decked out in the obituary merch. (laughs) Um, And it's just, like, you know, John Tardy is also another vocalist who sounds really human in his delivery because, you know, a lot of the times it could sound a bit cartoonish vocals, especially death metal vocals, because it doesn't sound like a human and it doesn't sound like a natural noise a human makes. So, therefore, it's hard for some people, I think, to connect to that. But John Tardy and I think Riley Gale, in, in a different way, are people who have used... Uh, harsh vocals in a way to portray what a really agonized human sounds like really and it's just uh, it's a great you're such a good vocalist and there's such a good band as well i think the guitar work on this album is unreal um so sacrifice the opening track is such a great track um just the way they've got like the proper groovy kind of mid-tempo riff and they bring it back it's kind of like a sort of almost like a breakdown style version with the riff with the drums being a bit more kind of half time well, that was really cool. And the title track as well, Nightmare Logic, is a really, really good track. Yeah. Um, just got some really, really catchy guitar work, but in a way that is still aggressive and delivering the uh, the message and doing the lyricism and the lyrics justice. Did you know they were nominated for a Grammy Award in 2021? Oh, were they? For um, Executioner's Tax, it was the best live metal performance. The nomination. Oh, cool. That is really impressive. Like, awesome for them. Who won it? None of the Grammys. It's probably like Uriah Heep or... <laughs> I can have a look. Um, Grammy. Fuck's sake. I'm really bad at Googling. Just reminds me of that Simpsons episode where uh, Homer's in his, uh, his uh, barber, barbershop quartet band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they like win the Grammy and he like, chucks it off the roof. And some random person's like, ooh, an award. Oh, it's a Grammy. <laughs> just throws it back in. <laughs> Hang on. I think it might be just metal because I just got like BTS and stuff. Body count. Oh, the body count win. <laughs> for Bum Rush. Count, yeah. yeah. For Bum Rush. Yes. Why would you call this song Bum Rush? That says, I, I like the talk shit, get hit song. Was that them? Talk get, get shot, talk shit, get shot. That was that music video was ridiculous. Wow. Yeah, Ice T's a bit of a fucking guy, man. He's a. <laughs> He's a guy. Bit of a guy. He's a chad. He's Is a bit he? chad. Yes, I want to say Chad again, but I've already (laughs) described someone as a Chad. Sigma male. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the Grammys is wild. I didn't really even know they did metal until High on Fire. Was it High on Fire that won a Grammy? Yeah. 
yeah, it was always one of those ones that that are announced like during like an ad break or something. But it's I don't know. I was used to because I I remember some people getting quite annoyed that a lot of metal artists would be left out of the in memoriam section, mm. so that people that died throughout the year. And it's just like. Do you really need like the the epitome of like the the commercial music industry to to honor someone? No, I mean it's just like it's like yeah. Don't get me wrong. I know it might be nice for them to have the recognition, but like you know the whole the whole point of metal and a lot of sort of genres of music like that is to kind of rebel against the that commercial overly commercialized music scene. So it's always seems strange to me. How so many people want metal to have that recognition from the scene? Mm. When it's just like, no, well, we're 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 the antithesis to that, really, from a, from a, from a strictly musical perspective, anyway. Yeah, we're like a subculture, and like um, we've always been quite underground, apart from like maybe the eighties. But even then, a lot of it was hysteria, and I think it's interesting. I I would love for us to have more recognition, but I don't think it's important. I wouldn't mind either way. I mean, we have we can make our own awards. We can just do like a Serpent Temple Grammys one day. And yeah. There you go. Let's have a Lords of Chaos Award for the most cringe. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a black band. metal band every single time. It definitely will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that old demoniac fucking losers. Um, anyway, uh, shall we move on to 1914, where let's, fear let's. and weapons meet, 2021. Do you think where fear and weapons meet? Do you think that's like steel fest where fear and weapons meet? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very shit joke, but thank you. Um, anyway, I fucking love 1914. It's our second time talking yeah. about them this year um, because they're great. And this new album is well deserving of us covering it for sure. What did you think of this? Oh God, where do I begin? Um, I really, really like this album. So I've listened to this probably on my th- third proper lesson now where i'm paying like a lot of attention to it mm. and like there's kind of like more and more layers being revealed each time i listen to it i like that it's in my opinion a bit more diverse than blind leads in the blind 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 <laughs> easy for me to say blind leads in the blind their second album um i really like the addition of the um symphonic elements mm. which i think you know when you've got a band like this is going to sound like i'm dissing this band which which i'm not because i actually do like them but a band like Flesh God Apocalypse, for example, have got a really hammy and kind of, um, dare I say, pompous way of presenting their orchestral. Demi Borger and Cradle do yeah. that as well. Yeah. But like, I think it's it's interesting the way 1914 have done it because like, you know, that sort of style of instrumentation is, is, is instruments that are used in like, where it'd be marches and stuff and you know and things associated with war and battles and stuff so it's interesting to see them use that instrumentation and kind of meld it with this really claustrophobic kind of black and death metal and and something that really um encapsulates the uh, the hopelessness of war yeah it's amazing um, and the amount of detail and research they put into this stuff it's like far beyond the whole like sabaton-esque wikipedia diving that they do um i really me and a lot of other people have been saying this. Um, the first, well, the second track on the album, apart from like the intro, which is what well, in, in instrumental, is FN.380 ACP hashtag 19074, which literally even with this serial number is the gun that started World War One. It's the handgun that was used to shoot, to assassinate the Archduke Franz Ferdinand, yeah. which I think is really cool that they like they named a song after a gun that is definitely like a sick move that they've pulled there. Yeah. And it's just like, 
the um oh man just uh demar the vocalist he does such a good job of like proper um adding so much vitriol and yeah. like enunciation on everything he says like it's it's yeah. you can hear what he's what kind of like screaming and snarling which i think is just so so cool and like it's um yeah as you said the amount of research that goes into like the uh, subject matter is pretty astounding because like I had no fucking clue where that was, so obviously I had to Google it, and I was just like, "Oh, that's that's like super cool." That is so. And cool. obviously, anybody that's ever done GCSE history or even vaguely looked into World War One would know that that was like you know the catalyst for everything. Yeah. And I think it's a really cool how that's like the first track on the album as well, because it's kind of like the beginning of the rest of the uh, the shit that unfolds. I really like how like you were talking about the vocals and the delivery, how there's so much like acting in this album. There's so much like um, in- inhabitation of different points of view and that creates like a picture, a different picture of the war through like so many different like perspectives. I really find that interesting because I think that is what is like I hate war, obviously, and I, everyone should to an extent hate war. But I think that is what makes war fascinating to a lot of people is the fact that all these different perspectives are clashing against each other and the effect is horror and the horror of those, I feel like, you know, he's taken that idea and he's like really exploring the psychology of war and how evil operates. Because it isn't evil, it's like chaos and mess and blood and, and you know, someone, for example, I really, my favourite song on the album, and across now Marx's place, is this guy like one of the corporals um, writing a letter to the mother of a fallen soldier. Yeah. And it's so brutal because... It's almost like it's so kind of mechanical and then at the same time it's really brutal because you you kind of understand the perspective of the officer and that this must be like the 500th letter like this that he's yeah. written and he refers to the like the when he says like dear mother which is in itself like really interesting because it's not his mother and then he's like your son's serial number was like and then the number yeah. and he's also like we couldn't retrieve his body yeah which is you know when he says that that the son was just like a eviscerated and splattered all over the floor and the mum is now thinking about this and yeah what a like what a thing to receive what a thing to write and the vocals like the cleans on it are really haunting as yeah. well yeah and then the cleans are executed by nick holmes of paradise lost yeah yeah, yeah it's so cool the guest track it's interesting how your favorite track on this and the power trip albums were the two singles released hmm. just shows that they made they the, right the, the right choice in the yeah. singles yeah because it's um yeah that was a really good track and you know it's there's a real sense of like emotional kind of like gravitas to the way war is is covered in the lyricism you know because at the end of the day the most tragic aspect of war is that you've got all these young people that didn't have a choice or felt like yeah. they didn't have a choice was it imprisonment or 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 going to war for most of these people or being shot like coward they go into that yeah like this guy gets shell-shocked and he like runs away and his officer finds him under a tree and shoots him in the head and it's interesting because it's first person and he's like describing it first person and he's like and then i was shot in the head and now i'm like da 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 and it's we watched green light last night me and shem oh how was it fucking trippy it's really really good um it's fantastic and it really reminded me of green light because there's a lot of like dead people walking That kind of like kind of psychedelic but horrific thing. It's not psychedelic in a ooh wibbly wobbly Osric tentacles way, which yeah. is wonderful in itself. But this yeah. is like this is like um, the psychedelia of madness, yeah. if that makes sense. It's like a bad fucking trip. Yeah, and you know it's such a good point because there's something really unsettling because the track itself has got like a 
a somewhat cheery, folkish vibe to yeah. it. And it features the person performing vocals as Sasha Bull, who's the uh, in Me and That Man, which is okay. Nurgle's side project. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, no, what you mentioned about it being a first person perspective, like there's something so eerie and creepy about that, yeah. about it being covered from like a, like a disembodied spirit talking about how they came to an end. Like I just find it really fascinating. And it's, um, yeah, just there's loads of cool ways. And then even another track, which is uh, I really enjoyed. I mean, I loved all the tracks on this album. Don't Tread on Me, the Harlem Hellfighters. <laughs> it's funny if you see Don't Tread on Me, I just think of that flag. I think of the Don't Step on Snack flag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no but Step on Snack. From what I've um, gathered is the lyrics on this track is his actual letter. The guy. Really? Yeah. It's, um, it's the story of Private Henry Johnson who's labeled one of the five bravest Americans in World War One, Because the Harlem Hellfighters were basically a troop of predominantly African-American uh, soldiers in like a, in a unit, in a battalion. Holy shit, that's so cool. Yeah, and it's, um, well, so cool, but I think it was kind of like similar to what happened in South Park, like Operation Frontline. I don't like know they, what that is. Well, basically, they sent all the non-white people out oh, to die first. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Um, which is what also happened I believe in the Civil War as well there's a film called Glory that features uh, Denzel Washington and Matthew Button and is his name Matthew Button or if I, I just made know. that up don't know he used to be married to uh, Kate Winslet oh okay it might be Bunsen I don't know it's irrelevant but <laughs> but it's um, but no it's like really like fucking historically very very racist but and one thing I was reading that was found quite interesting about this album um this is from the band themselves, is that the previous album, Blind Leading the Blind, was covering a lot of tales of just absolute destruction and war and just hopelessness and death, whereas most of this songs talk about people who ended up surviving the war and going home and then oh. leading a life and being celebrated as a hero, but then also you know the, what they had to live with. Because, I mean, let's yeah. be honest, anybody, you could, you could totally see why anybody who survived a war would end up having PTSD and live a, a, a horrific life. Well, that's interesting because I looked into Philip Conoval, or Conoval, I don't know how you would pronounce his last name, because the second song is called Vimy Ridge in memory of Philip Conoval. Um, and I read about him and he had a really um, sad and fascinating life. Um, he was a highly decorated Ukrainian-Canadian soldier. He was born to a peasant family, but he got a Victoria Cross. And he was really like, he got a lot more things as well. But um, he basically, when he was in Canada, he went for like drinks with one of his other war friends. And afterwards, um, he ended up trying to save, I think he tried to save his friend in a fight and ended up stabbing someone. Um, and, you know, he went to trial and loads of other veterans raised money to help him because it was discovered that he was having serious medical problems because he had, from his war wounds, pressure on his brain. Yeah. Um, and it was making him think he was still at war. Um, so he was having flashbacks. And he said, I think he said in the trial, um, let me see if I can find it, because he said like a really haunting thing where he was like, I killed 52 others and this is my 53rd, something like that. Um, and he tried to find his family as well. He was, he, I think... He was given like a seven year sentence or something or he didn't go to prison. He was institutionalized for seven years. So he wasn't guilty for insanity, but that he went to an institution, which that time would have fucking sucked. 
Um, yeah. But when he came out, he was a caretaker in the House of Commons. So he basically became a, a cleaner in the House of Commons, which is so depressing for a, a veteran to have to go through after being like winning, getting a Victorian Victoria Cross. That's horrific. We shouldn't, no one should treat people who've gone through stuff like that in that way. But the Prime Minister, um, Mackenzie, William Mackenzie King, he saw the ribbon on him while he was at work and he arranged to him for, to be reassigned for the King's personal office for his the rest of his life. So at least he got that. But he tried to find his family and he couldn't find them. His wife, he found out, had been killed um, during the Soviet famine and he couldn't find his daughter. But later it was found that she survived, but I don't think he managed to find ah, her. Ah, it's tragic. It's really sad, yeah. Yeah it's 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 i I love how they focus on like these normal people involved in the war and like sort of their trials and tribulations as opposed to i said it last time when we were reviewing um the second album but like you know like a band like sabaton it almost comes across like a complete glorification it's not sincere yeah yeah i don't feel like sabaton are particularly sincere but that track, Vimy Ridge, can I just say, that is just such a monolithic, like, proper death metal, like, yeah. banger of a track. That was probably one of my favorite tracks on the album. It just, like, it just shows that this band can go as hard as the other bands that, because this, it's, it's quite a common um, lyrical subject matter war. And, you know, got bands like Asphyx, Hail Bullets, and Boat Thrower, of course. Mm. God the Throned as well in the later part of their career. Um, and it's just so cool to see 1914 kind of just say, yeah, you know what? fuck it, we're going to give you a proper like monolithic death metal track as well because there's so many there's so many elements of so many different genres on this album and I feel like they've expanded it even more than the previous album. This is a lot doomier and a lot more kind of melodic, like even similar to, I'm going to say this, even reminds me of like earlier Monomarf at times, mm-hmm. like like really like quite, quite, quite well-crafted melodies. Yeah, I really like the combination of like the depth of the lyrics and the research and the subject matter alongside these fucking heavy ass death metal tracks with like yeah i I agree like the doom element of course getting like paradise lost involved is gonna add to like that and it's a magnificent track um the the one that he's involved in and across now marks his place it's a really good album this album is gonna age really well um i can tell and i know that i have more to discover about it too yeah. So I'm excited to to like get hit those like you know Google the rest of the song names and and find out what more about what those are about because the it's really haunting like it starts with I think Silent Night right on the in the intro and you can feel you can feel the like juxtaposition of these like folk songs um, that happen in the rest of the album too with like the brutality of the music and the subject matter as well and I think that's like a really particular kind of heaviness. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. You know, there's there's, there's definitely a, a vast difference between the heaviness of someone like some run-of-the-mill death metal band just trying to play as fast and as and as kind of as, as down-tuned as humanly possible compared to something that is backed by like a real sense of like like emotional brevity. Mm-hmm. Um, one track that I think is probably my favorite track on the album, just because the sheer diversity of it is "Mitgott für König und Vaterland," <laughs> yeah. which is probably butchered that <laughs> but it just starts with a really cool kind of like swirling black metal-esque riff and then it sounds like even early pre-slaughter of the soul at the gates at times and there's like elements of black and row on the track there's a riff that comes in at about 3 30 that is so so super super sinister sounding and it's just such such a good track 
Um, and the solo is really good in it as well, something I haven't heard previously in too many 1914 songs. Like there was a lot of whammy work and even some good, some cool uh, tap work on the fretboard of that solo. Oh, which cool. I noticed, which I thought was quite cool. Like the musicianship on this album is just fantastic, I think. And it's just everything is so well crafted. The drums, as I was talking about the drums in the last album as well, they're just so militaristic and just so blazing and fluid. And it's just, it just adds to that feeling of kind of like, like shell shock, I suppose, because there's just it's such an oral assault. I um I just looked at the lyrics um at the beginning of it and it's interesting it starts with with Big Buffer trampled you down and I was like Big Buffer I feel like a GCSE memory tingling in the back of my brain so I've googled it and it was like a German tank yeah so German Dicker Buffer it was a 420 millimeter howitzer that was first used by the German army and apparently it was quite it was devastating. Um, it helped them advance through German and uh, through Belgium. Sorry, <laughs> through German, through Belgium in 1914. Um, so I think, like, I, I just like all these little details. I never really, when you're at school, you kind of do mostly World War Two because it's easier for them to be like good versus evil, um, yeah. and it's more like kind of nationalistic and fits in more with the the stuff that's going on. Whereas I think this is so far removed from kids. Um, maybe it's not as accessible, or they just don't do as much i remember doing some world war one because of the trench warfare yeah, and like the yeah. churchill ad, um adulation adulations whatever fuck that guy um but yeah it's interesting it's interesting to come back to it without bias. the the bias yeah and it's and like right now there's loads of people walking around with poppies like giving me side eye because um yeah. <laughs> <it's> yeah. <laughs> usually happens like all oh, these these people don't wear poppies they're so rude yeah. these brown people blah, blah, blah. um well, yeah, I, I really like coming into this with a kind of more fresh perspective because I think at school there was a lot of like racial tension um, when this was being taught. Um, and there is in this country a lot of racial tension about kind of Memorial Day um, and the world wars when it kind of like with the completely kind of ignoring, as you say, um, the fact that it was still a racist war. They were sending non-white people to the front lines and you know people do use the walls ironically they don't know enough about it that they use it to be like we protected you brown people you should be grateful ignoring the fact that there was so many people in the commonwealth and the colonies who who fought those wars yeah 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 look at the gurkhas for example exactly exactly yeah, yeah. it's um yeah you know what because like i would have been learning i would have been doing gcse history pretty much the year that uh, september the 11th happened Oh, damn. So, and obviously, and it was really crazy to see, and you definitely would have first-hand experience of this, yeah. which I'm sure you've told me about before. But like, you know, like as soon as September the 11th happened, even though it wasn't even in this country, like the mood towards it and the shift towards anybody that looked vaguely from that part of the world just changed dramatically. It changed overnight for me. Yeah, it was crazy how quick it was and how quickly people like would turn on people that looked vaguely from that area. I was treated with so much distrust. Like I remember getting on a train around then and people would stare at me and be scared. No. Um, I was on a train like only a few years ago and the train stopped and there was this guy sitting in front of me and I was with like a, a, a ex-partner who was also a person of color. And this guy looks at us and he's like freaking out and he gets on his phone to the British transport police. He's like, has there been a terror attack? 
Oh my god! And like on, the, he was oh, like god. he was saying this so loudly on the train, and everyone was so uncomfortable, and everyone was looking at us. Yeah. <laughs> horrible, and like stuff like that would happen. You know, we'd get stopped in searches. My, like, if I went anywhere with my dad, if, if anywhere with like a male member of my family, we would just have to literally plan to be stopped. Yeah, and into yeah. like our journey time to go anywhere, and yeah, like literally the next day at school. Um, for the rest of my school life, I would, you know, be reminded that I am. I'm not Arab, but I'd be called a dirty Arab. I'd be called yeah. a towel head. I'd be called a sand N word. All this stuff was like, and it was literally overnight after 9-11. Like before then, I'd it have absolutely, there was loads of racial abuse too, but it doubled in yeah. frequency because of that event. Yeah, it was, yeah, it's just so fucked. And I just think learning, it was just so weird learning about like, say, World War. Because I think when I was doing GCSEs, we did, we did cover both of the wars and like, mm. And oh, we covered the Vietnam War as well. You did Vietnam. We never did Vietnam. Yeah, and it was like it, it was legit talking about like the domino effect being like a real thing. Just like, well, you know, if we didn't stop Vietnam, then there'd be the oh, domino effect. Fuck so off. the communism would slowly ripple across the. Oh, fuck and you know, like the textbooks were legit trying to talk about that that the, the U.S. like had some. R- legit rationale and reasoning for going in there. They've been like... They're like, Corbin would have won. And we watched this really <laughs> shit film called We Were Soldiers, which is like a Mel Gibson film. Oh, my God. Um, that he was in. And it was just, you know, it's just the Vietnam soldiers or the Viet Cong were just portrayed as just complete, absolute, like, savages and just oh like, God. yeah, you're on their fucking land. And they just... still won. They <laughs> yeah. still beat the they US troops. Yeah. It destroyed me. Fucking hell. But anyway, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes me so angry. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, going back to the, this album, fucking <laughs> some mad rants. <laughs> is, um, oh, I just. What's a few other tracks that I really love on this album? Yeah, all of them, frank, frankly. Pillars of Fire, Battle of Messines. There's a really cool story behind that one as well. Almost, I would say, cool. That sounds it really trivializes it. <laughs> I mean, but it's basically what it was. Was there was this giant like mine explosion that the British planned on this, and it, it ended up killing like ten thousand Germans and creating like an earthquake because the impact was so powerful. Fucking hell! So all these poor fucking soldiers were just there, and the whole fucking ground was just fallen, just fallen from underneath them, and just enveloped into the ground. That's and it's just really fucking horrifying. Like that's like nightmare fuel shit for me. Oh, you know what? So there's this thing called liquefaction that happens um, during earthquakes. If the soil has enough water in it, the water will rise to the surface because there'll be a centrifugal effect from the vibrations. Ah, yeah. And buildings and people will literally sink into the ground. Oof. It happened in San Francisco during the Great Earthquake. And there's like videos of buildings, like skyscrapers just disappearing oh, I into I the earth. I remember seeing some of that. Oh, I it's hate that shit. It's fucking horrific, man. Don't live in an earthquake zone <laughs> with um, like high water density soil. But it was, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> but it was, um, oh, I love the music on this track. I think this track is the perfect example of them incorporating the symphonic elements in a way that isn't, you know, hammy and, and yeah. insincere. Yeah. And there's a great l- lyric in the album where he screams or snarls, better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Yeah. And I just thought that was kind of cool. Because it just thinks like, yeah, you may think you know evil, but there is far larger evils out there, you know. <laughs> It's really interesting because we love music about cosmic evil too. And like the great macro cosmic evil of like how sublime the terror is of something vast. And from out, you know, like this is xenophobic Lovecraftian fear that our hearts, we all are scared of the unknown. And then we also have like 
in juxtaposition to that, we also find it fascinating in the same way, kind of, when something as small as like a letter written to someone's mum because their son has died, that terror is also really fascinating to us. Yeah. And really interesting to explore like both those sides of evil or just chaos at the same time. It's so cool to like not cool as <laughs> same thing you said earlier. It's fascinating that we have both of these fears and we have all we've all interacted with both of these kinds of art and that we particularly appreciate that kind of art. I wonder like I wonder if they did like an IQ study on metalheads and I'm joking. Um, <laughs> it sounds like that's where I'm going with it, but it's not. I just think it's interesting how we have that in this heavy music is that yeah. we are intrigued by how vast and also how small terrifying things can be. Yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's true. Because I remember, um, funny enough, I don't know why I thought this, but I remember whenever I was fevered when I was young, I would have this kind of like indescribable fever dream where like, but like my brain would expand so large that it would just become larger than anything. You'd become a tool fan. <laughs> Sorry. That fucking meme. I love that meme. <laughs> I don't mean that about Big tool brains. fans. I only hate <laughs> tool, not their fans. <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it was a bit like that. <laughs> That's so, so strange. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind next time I have a fever. Let me listen to some tool. I might appreciate them for once. But it's um, but yeah, but it was either being really big and then it would change to being really super small, like like microscopic, wow. and it was just the juxtaposition of both. I always just found really weird. It's jarring. Um, yeah, that was that was quite bizarre. Um, but yeah, oh god, what else was I going to talk about quickly about this album? The last track, which is actually a cover track, "The Green Fields of France," oh, which yeah. is an Eric Bogle cover. I do not know him. So he is a Scottish-born Australian songwriter. Nice. Um, and this song has been covered by loads of people. I think the most famous one is the Dropkick Murphys oh. to the cover of this. So 1914, they're continuing their trend of adding um, cover tracks. I think they had Beat the Bastards, the yeah. Dead Kennedys track in the last album. I love Dead Kennedys. Um, and what I really love about this track is some of their sludgier roots have kind of crept back in for this track because in their first album, Eschatology of War, like it's more kind of doomy and sludgy and there's like a real like really strong sense of like claustrophobia in the riffs mm -hmm. and i found that again with this track and it was just a really cool long drawn out way to end the album i thought and it was just a really good cover not listen to the original yet or even the dropkick murphy's version so but i'm definitely going to go in there check that out at some point just to see how it compares yeah it's a really really strong album um and yeah, this is fucking sick. Like, well done, 1914. It's fantastic. And it's going to be a favorite for many years for a lot of people, I'm sure. Yeah, and it's just a, I think it's definitely going to be in a lot of people's album of the year list. Um, just the cover's really cool as well. I like, yeah. like the thing with the soldier reaching out to the Grim Reaper. And apparently it's meant to resemble the Grim Reaper turning around and refusing to accept the soldier's life and say, oh. well, no, you've actually got more to live on for, which is basically what the band feels like the album represents in some of the tracks, like I was saying before, it's to do with people that survived the war and what they deal with afterwards and kind of the, uh, the, uh, the oxymoron that is the hero worship of these people that are actually just left to, um, it sounds like the aftermath is worse than the actual, the actual war itself at times. Well, I suppose sometimes when you're there, I mean, you, you're not you're really, moment. yeah, 
and you're caught up in the adrenaline and stuff. I mean, I would be shit scared if it was me. I, mean, I, would, I just wouldn't go to war in the first yeah, place. I but like, I'd definitely be a deserter if I was back in the days. And well, I'd just do the time in prison, probably. I think it would depend on the war. I was literally talking to my uncle about this the other day because he was a freedom fighter in Kurdistan. Yeah. Um, and I, I was, I just asked him. I never asked him before. I was like, "Why did you? Why did you do it?" And he was like, "Well, if we didn't, I think it was around like the Iraq War. He was like, if we didn't, then we'd lose everything." Yeah, like their whole country would have just been invaded, and they were yeah. they were told they had like a week before a war would begin. And the, yeah. the Kurdistan is tiny; yeah. it's like a really really small region. Um, and yeah, everyone everyone just armed themselves. Everyone got trained, um, and then that was it. They he spent ten years like chasing, all being chased around a mountain mountain ranges in, in Asia, and yeah, like. Um, it's it's interesting because I have family members who who currently deal with the trauma of war, yeah. Um, and that's it's hard, and I think it's as hard as war, if not harder at times, depending on who you are and what you've gone through. Um, and I think it's it must be so shocking to go from the chaos of war to like the banal, or is it banal, the banality, the banality of of everyday life where people just ignore you. And yeah. you're kind of want you. They want to sweep you under the rug because it's uncomfortable to and like you know it's not in anyone's interest after you've you basically like sold your body to be used in some like fucking chess game for politicians and yeah. then you come back and you're useless to them so you're just kind of shoved to one side institutionalized literally yeah um and not cared for by society and like you just get this weird like ritualistic kind of racist um like show of show of pomp and circumstance once a year and then you're just ignored yeah and it's just so yeah that's what always and that's the whole thing about the whole poppies thing for me is i'm just yeah. like this this country like the, the the people that suffer the more never truly celebrated or appreciated yeah i feel like the poppy thing is it's really controversial and maybe i shouldn't even be saying this on this podcast but i've always felt like the poppy thing is so very much racialized. Like if I wear one, I'm given funny looks. If I don't wear one, I'm given funny, funny looks. And it's just, it's so insincere. Like, I think it's really disrespectful. Like a lot of those people were forced to go to war. They didn't want to die. No. Why are we celebrating that? Why are we celebrating that horrific thing in such a way? Surely we should just be properly educated about it. Instead of being told that Churchill was this fucking great guy who was out for everyone when he was this like disgusting racist sexist pig who said like the most horrific things about eugenics and you know anyone who wasn't white and Jews he was an anti semite so like you know I have a lot of things to say about it I'm probably not going to say them very well but yeah personally I think the poppy thing is a load of shit um, and that we could do a lot better I don't think we shouldn't acknowledge war i think we should do it properly yeah and you know and for the record i've got no issue with anybody that that, that is proud of wearing their poppy same, or wants same, to same. wear it like absolutely uh, um but you know just from my personal experience um my granddad on my dad's side died in the war and um granddad on my mum's side was 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 mortally wounded basically as a result of what he went through yeah and neither of them well one of them couldn't even talk about what he felt because he didn't even survive and the other one hated the fact and 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 and, and kept kept his medals in the vault for ages wow. not a vault that makes it sound like it's some sort of like <laughs> Gringotts. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but just like just just kept away for the longest time and it's like you know so i'm just from my personal experience they weren't proud of it so 
if if they're not proud of it, then why should I be? Yeah. yeah. I was reading um I was reading Alain de Botton and he says a lot of people will become incredibly obsessed with like being patriotic about war because it actually justifies the fact that they've gone through trauma or members of their family have died. Because if you actually acknowledge that, some people can't deal with it. And I understand that totally. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because I imagine that's probably what kept a lot of soldiers going as well, right? Yeah. To then think that everything you went through is futile and that wars would continue for decades to come. Mm. And that must be crushing. Like you yeah. would, um, imagine a lot of these poor, I mean, let's be honest, most of them were young kids. Yeah. We're probably thinking if I survived this and I'd be celebrated like a hero back home and then my life would be sorted for the rest of my life because I've fought for this country and it's freedom. But it's it's not the case, I'm afraid, mate. Yeah, it's it's, it's tragic. And that's like, it's the fucking, that's really what's horrible about war for me is the fact that it's, completely unavoidable it's completely avoidable it's completely fucking avoidable and the people who make it happen the people who decide okay now we're gonna like is it really the gun that started the war or is it the fucking people who said they were gonna make it happen in the first place is people who are so fucking egotistical that they think that these like borders and these like political like underplays and power moves and things why is that so important that millions of people deserve to die like, if you know someone's doing something bad, why is killing people that isn't that person the right thing to do? Why, why don't we just fucking stop it from happening in any other way that doesn't involve doing the same thing that those supposedly bad people are doing? I'm not saying that they weren't yeah. bad, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's just because we're expendable, really. We've always been expendable to them, right? Yeah, exactly. Our eyes, they're, they're, I, I honestly don't think a lot of the people who were involved in the major decisions lost any sleep over any of the lives lost. Not. No, that's the problem. And I think, you know, we need to stop. We have been conditioned from birth to believe that we are expendable. The fact that we essentially rent our bodies and our incredibly limited lifespans to work for imag- like pieces of metal and paper that aren't even even real anymore. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. in ancient Greece, people worked on, on average three months a year. They had 60 public holidays, yeah. 60 feast days. That is ancient. That's why there was so much art and philosophy in ancient Greece. That's how democracy came about. It's because people weren't working. We didn't need to work and we still don't need to work. And we have, you know, it's the same thing. Like we're just told that we're just fucking flesh bags. Why am I doing this on our podcast about (laughs) reviewing music? I'm going on a rant. Sorry, guys. Um, But yeah, like I think that's a load of bullshit. Um, Fuck war. We could do a lot better. Um, Let's do a power trip and, you know, drag our politicians into the street and kick them on their bums and do an Iceland and just live in a utopian Star Trek gay space communism society. Yeah, no, I couldn't have said it better myself. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for listening to Serpent Temple. Feel free to join our gay space communism society space cult. Um, We'll be recruiting shortly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Till next time.